The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it will bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. Hey, it's good to be with you. If you're a guest, my name's Drew. I'm the pastor of Discipleship. It's good to see you on this sunny Charleston day. Um, over the last few weeks, so if you are new with us or if you've been here with us as we've been going through the Gospel of John, we've been looking at Jesus' final hours with his disciples. And today is the final meal has finished, and Jesus goes out with his disciples as he gets closer and closer to his death. We encounter what I, what I really believe is one of the most important passages to contemplate and to really understand if you're a Christian, and if you're not a Christian, to at least examine. Um, I grew up in the church from a very young age. My parents went to church. I went to church. I was involved in all of the church things. Um, I was in the youth group. I went on mission trips. I went to camp. I did all of that. And then when I got to my senior year, I decided that when I left and went to college, I wanted to kind of forge my own path, that I didn't know if I really wanted to be connected with the church. I didn't really know where I stood exactly with this relationship with God. And so I went uh, to the state school in southern Missouri, and that year was really interesting. After my uh, first semester of sort of wandering trying to forge my own path, trying to, trying to prove myself, my worth, all of these things, this inner wrestling inside, I immediately got put on academic probation. <laughs> I decided that uh, going to parties was more important than going to class. And at the end of my second semester, I was um, very graciously invited not to come back. I left with a .4 GPA. Yes, it's possible to get a .4 <laughs> GPA. I think one class I didn't fail. It was a horrible year. It was a wandering year. I felt kind of like Jonah, just running from God. I came home that summer depleted, kind of busted up, broken, bruised. And by the grace of God, that's where he found me, picked me up, and changed my path. 
but it was definitely a year of wandering. We are all, as the hymn says, if you know it, come thou fount, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I still struggle with this. Maybe you can relate. Where is it that we find ourselves wandering? Sometimes we wander to false identities, who we are, how we're seen as valuable, where my identity falls. Sometimes we wander to false beliefs about ourselves, about God. Sometimes we wander into loneliness and isolation. Sometimes we wander into lies and desperation. Sometimes we wander into self-reliance, into trying to justify ourselves by what we do instead of understanding who we are. Sometimes we wander into the believing the accomplishments that we have give us value. Sometimes we wander into sin, believing the lie that it will satisfy our heart's desire. You can probably relate with this. I think we probably all can. The comfort here is that Jesus is very aware of this condition within us. And in John 15, he graciously shows his disciples the alternative to a life filled with wandering, a better way. And just as it's true for them, it's true for you and I as we sit here this morning, 2021 in Charleston, South Carolina, or if you're joining us online, wherever you might be. So I want to give us half of the big idea for today to start, and we'll jump into this. The Christian life is not about a point of contact with Jesus. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dive into this passage, and we'll see what God has for us. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you come after the wandering soul, the wandering heart. Would you speak to us now in this passage for our good, for your glory? We pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right, I want to say up front, in my past, this passage was more scary to me than encouraging because it has some really um, heavy things in it. But what I've come to realize is that it should be the complete opposite. It should be incredibly encouraging and incredibly freeing, and I think we'll, we'll see that this morning. So just a brief overview here. After Jesus ate with the disciples, they got up, they left the room, they started to head toward the Garden of Gethsemane, and along the way, they would have walked alongside the Mount of Olives and the vineyards of Olivet. And so as they do, it seems that they stopped along the way. And what we see is that Jesus uses this natural picture of a vine and the branches to teach this powerful truth. Here's what verse 1 says. I am the true vine, Jesus speaking, and the Father is the vine dresser. Now to understand this, you have to know that the imagery of the vine here is not new imagery. It goes all the way back into the Old Testament. Jesus is grabbing imagery that we see, for example, in Psalm 80, and we also see it in Isaiah, and we see it in other places where the psalmist talks about God's relationship with the nation of Israel, with his, with his people. It says, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The disciples would have understood this imagery that Israel, they failed and they rebelled time and time again. They needed a savior. They needed a true, perfect vine. And Jesus is making it very clear here to his disciples and to us that that's exactly what I am. That's what I've come to be for you. 
the true vine, bringing salvation, sent from the vine dresser, the Father. And then this is where we come in. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So you have the Father who's seen as a gardener here, and we have two types of branches. We have one that doesn't bear fruit, and we have one that bears fruit. We have one that's cut off, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. And we have one that's cut back. What is this fruit that it's talking about here? Is it a special fruit? Is it only a certain type of fruit? Is it just the fruit of the Spirit? Here's what I would say, is that fruit represents everything that's produced by a life lived in Christ. See what Jesus does in these verses? In verse 10, he'll point us to obeying the commands. In verse 11, he speaks to having joy. In verse 12, he talks of loving one another. Even next week, in verse 16, he tells us to be a witness to the world around us. We could list other fruit like the fruit of the Spirit, peace, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. We could speak about the marks of a Christian, a forgiving spirit, meekness, humility. We could talk about the fruits of repentance, worship, and a love for God's Word. There are all kinds of fruit. We shouldn't limit it to just one. But you'll notice here that it also talks about pruning. (laughs) So let's talk about that for a minute. Some of you might be going through a season of pruning right now, and it's painful. It's not easy. The reality is pruning can feel like punishment. Pruning can feel like punishment, but I assure you that it's not. Think about the gardener. He's not hacking away at the branches with reckless abandon. God is not hacking away at pieces of your life with reckless abandon. He's using precision. He's thinking about the long-term health of the branches, that he actually wants them to flourish. He doesn't want to kill them. He doesn't want to harm them. He doesn't want to see them just make it through today. He wants to see them flourish, and sometimes that means cutting back and cutting out what might get in the way of that happening, not to hurt But what does it say? To make it possible to bear more fruit. When Silas, our son, was very small, he was growing well on just milk. He was growing up. He enjoyed it. He liked it. But in order to keep him growing, we needed to taper off the milk and get him onto solids. And as you can see in this picture, he didn't love it. Didn't like it at all at first. Why would you do this? Why would you take away my milk? Why are you trying to feed me these eggs? Not a fan. But it was necessary for his health and development. And we knew that even at the time he couldn't understand that. We didn't do this to punish him. Why did we do this? We did this because we loved him. If you're going through a season of pruning, I get it. It may be difficult. Don't don't run away from God in this season. Trust that even in the difficulty, even in the challenge, even though it might be hard, even though there might be tension, that there's love at the heart of it for your good, for his glory. He makes it clear that there's purpose and there's promise in the pruning and to reassure us that we're not being punished. And even more than that, of our standing with him, we get verse three here. Jesus says, already you are clean because the words that I have spoken to you, already you are clean 
This is so important here. Students, and I'll even include adults here, but you ever tried out for maybe a sports team or you've tried out for a play, something that you actually had to try out for? Um, when the coach or maybe the director of the play actually tells you that you made the team or you got the part, there's incredible relief. Because up until that point, there's sort of tension, maybe even anxiety. It's not as joy-filled. It's, I've got, to, I've got to do this in order to be good and make the team. But when you make that, all of a sudden you can just be. Joy comes flooding in. You're good. What Jesus is essentially saying here is that you're already on the team. More than that, you're in the family because you've believed in my words. You've believed in who I am because you are a branch of my vine. Not because you've earned it, not because you have it all together, not because of your accomplishments, not because you serve at Feed the Need or Hope Repair, even though those are great. Not, it's only because of my grace and my grace alone. So Jesus is, in a sense, saying, let that reality, that you're already clean because of who God is, because of where I'm headed, because of what's coming, you believed in me, you've trusted in me, you've drawn close to me, let that reality be a covering and encouragement for these next words, for what I'm about to say. Verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the rest of the big idea. The Christian life is not about a point of contact with Jesus. It's about making your home with Jesus. Abide literally means to stay. Just to stay. To remain. To make your home with to do life with, to spend time with, to draw close to. This picture of a beautiful union with Christ, our Savior. You might hear these words, you can do nothing, and think, man, those are harsh words. Actually, they're incredibly loving and freeing when we understand the essence of this. Because we can have this false view of the Christian life says, now that I've made contact with Christ... Now I need to go either get busy trying to bear fruit on my own and to, and to keep that, and, and I've got to do, 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 go, 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 and we wear ourselves out, and we never know if we measure up, and we constantly feel this anxiety. Or I feel like now that I've made contact, I'm good to go, and so I pull away, and I go, and I try to do my own thing. I wander into other things. We can treat God sort of like a savings account, that when we feel like we need him, when we feel like we're in trouble, we kind of go to him, and we pull out, we withdraw, and yet what we see is that that's not what Jesus wants for you. That's not what he wants for me. What he wants here is this close, tight-knit relationship. Jesus is making it incredibly clear here. I'm the source that you need more than you know. Every single one of us right now, whatever we brought in with us today, whatever we're, season we're in, you need Jesus more than you know. Apart from me, you'll use others. Apart from me, you'll have identity crisis after crisis. Apart from me, you'll wear yourself out trying to prove your worth. Apart from me, temptation and then acting on that temptation will run rampant in your life. Apart from me, you'll work your fingers to the bone and for what? And here's what's so important about these words from Jesus. He's not saying this as a power-hungry tyrant. He's saying this as a loving, close friend who understands the consequences of disconnection. 
In verse 6, he says, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. Does this mean you can lose your salvation, that you can lose your standing with Christ? Absolutely not. Jesus is not talking to struggling Christians here. Think about it like flowers. You buy flowers in a store, and you go to a backyard, and you see flowers that are planted. For a while, they may look very similar, and yet one eventually dies. Why? Because it doesn't have roots. It's completely disconnected. These branches are very different. One is attached, and one's not really connected. This isn't talking about a Christian who struggles to stay close to Jesus at times, which, by the way, is all of us. This is someone who lacks any clear evidence of having a relationship with Christ and any clear desire to have a relationship with Christ. And the consequence of this disconnection, this intentional separation from the vine, is hell. This real place that all of us deserve completely disconnected from God. And we can't avoid what Jesus is saying here, even though these are hard words. And yet, this isn't God's desire for anyone. And through Jesus, the true vine, grace comes flooding through for all who will accept it and live into it. This grace that's so powerful that says, Even in the times that we fail to abide in him, he still abides in us, this assurance. Seven says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. When you stay with Jesus, when you make your home with Jesus, the natural organic result is that your heart your desires, even the things that you ask for start to mirror the heart of Jesus. You begin to bear the fruit of Jesus because the more you stay and the deeper you go, the more you absorb who Jesus is. The more you absorb what Jesus is like, the more you rest your identity in his identity. And the result is unforced, naturally occurring fruit. And this fruit proves who we belong to, that in Christ, that we are in Christ, and this puts the glory of the Father on display. This is the purpose. The purpose is is not the fruit. The fruit is the means by which the purpose is accomplished to bring glory to the Father as we abide in Jesus. Do you see how familial this is, this family language here? This isn't some cold imagery. This is deeply intimate family language filled with love at the heart of it. That's why Jesus says in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. Stay in my love. Don't wander from my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. What draws us to abide? It's the love of God. It's the love of God. Not a fear of punishment. Not not a fear of rejection. It's the love of God that draws us in. A love that not only connects us to the vine, but also connects us to one another as the branches connected to one vine. 
that we don't need to go it alone, that you get the Father, you get the Son, you get the Holy Spirit, and you get a bunch of brothers and sisters, branches to walk alongside you. This is why I'm such a huge proponent of groups, not just because I'm over it in community, but because it's so critical, because you can't do discipleship without community, without relationship. And so as a branch connected to the vine, we also get to be connected to one another who are walking alongside us, who are encouraging us, who are reminding us that we don't need to go it alone, who are reminding us of the truth of the gospel, who are reminding us how much God loves us. Do you understand how much he loves you? That even when he's talking about commands here, keep my commands, the essence isn't rules but relationship. If you love me, you'll stay with me. You'll trust me. You'll give up whatever stands in the way. You'll make your home with me just as I've stayed with the Father, have trusted the Father, have followed the Father all the way to the cross, to the point of death. And this is where our wandering Our wandering souls can find their rest. In the love of Christ found in the cruelty of the cross where an audacious grace comes flooding through. Let me encourage you. When you you wonder if your life has value, the cross says it does. When you wonder if you're loved, the cross says you are. When you wonder what your future holds, the cross reminds you that you're safe in Christ. When you wonder if you're measuring up, the cross reminds us that we don't have to, that Jesus did. When you've fallen and you wonder if your sins have gone too far to get back up, the cross invites you to come back home. When you wonder if it's ever going to get better, the cross reminds you that the worst is behind you and that love will carry you home. The beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what Jesus has done on our behalf, that every wanderer can find their rest in Jesus, the true vine. The Christian life isn't about just doing a bunch of stuff and killing it for Jesus. It's not about self-glory. It's not about our own agenda. It's not having to prove to God that, hey, I'm good enough. Will you please accept me? That's not it at all. It's not about a feeling. In a nutshell, the Christian life is about making your home with Jesus. Being in Christ, resting with him, staying with him. Of all the places you could live in the world, Jesus wants your truest residence to be in the love of God. Why is that? Because of what verse 11 says. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's all joy. He actually wants your life to be fulfilled. He wants you to have joy. He wants to give you something that everyone is searching for abiding this joy. Everyone's searching for it, but it can only be found in one place. This invitation to stop wandering around to different places and things. Instead, stay Will you'll never be more loved and you'll never experience greater joy. Have any of you seen the movie Chariots of Fire? 1981. Pretty good movie. Won an Oscar, um, so pretty decent. Um, Chariots of Fire. If you know this story, there's this scene in it from the movie that really illustrates the contrast between abiding and wandering. In the movie, Harold Abrams, he's this amazing runner. He's a talented 100-meter sprinter. He's talking with a friend, and in a moment of honesty, he says, and now in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes, and I'll look down the corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. 
Abrams wins the race, but does he really justify his whole existence? There's no joy for him, not even in winning. In a later scene, sprinter Eric Liddell, follower of Christ, called to be a missionary, is rebuked by his sister for not going to China as a missionary and stood running as he is pledged. And Liddell responds, I believe God has made me a pur- for a purpose for China. I believe that's where I'm going to go. But he's also made me fast. <laughs> and when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give that up would be to hold him in contempt. To win is to honor him. When I run, I feel his pleasure compared to that 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. In the movie's climactic scene, you see Liddell is running full throttle, his head back, his eyes closed. There is incredible joy on his face as he feels God's pleasure. And Abrams is watching in the stands with a melancholy face that contrasts Liddell's as he runs. The first is someone wandering, trying to prove and justify that his achievements make his life worth living. His whole sense of self depends on his success, what he does, and even the success isn't really enough. But the second is a picture of someone who is living under the shadow of God's pleasure, experiencing the joy that comes from abiding in him. Psalm 16, really just brings this home. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Why do we find ourselves wandering? Because we're looking for a life that will satisfy. And that's exactly what Jesus is offering. So the question today is, will you come to him? Will you stay with him? And maybe what do you need to hand over to him? If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, he's inviting you into it to come and to stay. So the first step is will you come to him? To come as you are, broken, maybe confused, maybe wounded, maybe you've been wandering for a long time and and you've noticed that that joy is missing, that you need a new place to call home. Jesus says, bring your life to me and I'll give you new life. For those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, it's an opportunity for us to really inspect our life and to say, am I staying with him or am I wandering to other things? What do I maybe need to hand over to him? What does he need to prune? What does he need to cut back or take away for my good so that I can experience a life and the joy that he has for me? What lies have I been believing that I need to hand over? What race have I been trying to run on my own and just wearing out time and time again? What expectations have other people put on me that I need to hand over to Jesus and say, I believe that in you I'm good? The Christian life is not about a point of contact with Jesus. It's about making your home with Jesus. And in that home... We get the beauty of unending joy, love, and glory with this amazing family. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Thank you for the hope that you give us. I pray that we would be open and receptive to you. I pray that we would 
draw close to you, that we would stay with you, that we would find our hope in you. And I pray that we would hand over things that get in the way, that our wandering hearts would find rest in the finished work of the cross. Jesus, I pray this in your name. Amen.